Hey, this is Carrie from Wrapping Head Around Silks. This is the Expect Aerials Podcast. How's it going, guys? Hope you're having a good start to your year. Before we get started, I'm so happy to talk about the awesome things that are happening with Wrap Your Head Around Silks. So today, actually, Aerial Rehab opens just for a couple days for registration. If anybody new wants to jump in, it's meant to be the bridge between PT and aerial class where I do micro progressions, ground to air progressions to get you into something like a hip key, for example, where, you know, after I had my baby and I went back to the studio, uh, my, my hip key was gone for my practice. Not everything was gone, but the hip key was. And I made these progressions based on that, that, um, journey back, um, the way I would have wanted to have done it. Uh, had I had that presented to me before, before I started the process. So, um, check the show notes if you're interested in that. Also, uh, roll it out, which is my virtual 60 minute on Zoom. We'll see each other in person on the computer, uh, body rolling class. It's once a week. You can also go to the student portal and take the class as many times as you want that week. We have a 14 day free trial. So, you know, no risk to check it out and that. Registration will close sometime in January as well. And then, of course, uh, really excited to have in 2023 Silks Level 1 teacher training that I'm going to do in LA the first time. So check that out if you're interested. Today, we have Kyla Helgeland Alexander. She is a a circus person who found it later in life. So she started circus at 40. And what we really got into is her experience with midwifery and her experience as a personal trainer. And those two specialties are very specific. And um, she's got great advice for us ladies out there from a midwife and personal trainer experienced uh, person who also had three children and is now... um, you know, teaching at Sanka up in, uh, up in the Northwest. So, um, so much, so many kernels of great advice for my listeners out there today. Uh, excited to, for you guys to meet her. Let's get started. It's Kyla Helgeland Alexander. I got remarried four years ago and so I got rid of my previous married name took back my my uh last name that I was born with and added my husband's last name and gave myself a really long obnoxious name but they're not hyphenated so I can use them separately if I so choose (laughs) oh I think it's I think it's a beautiful name um Kyla I found you on the mama's Facebook group and you you like fit this this podcast like a glove it seems uh when it comes to to you know ticking off all the tags um if you would talk about a little bit about yourself um where you're lit where you're living uh where you train you know Mm -hmm. when you had kids you can just start and then i'll jump in sure yeah So I am in Seattle. I grew up here in the Pacific Northwest and I currently train and teach at uh, Sanka, which is the School of Acrobatics and New Circus Arts here in Seattle, as well as uh, Versatile Art. Um, I I discovered Ariel 
and circus arts in general at 41. When I met my now husband, I didn't realize that Ariel was a thing you could actually learn until I met him. Um, I, I had my kids really young. I got pregnant with my first when I was 16. He was born when I was 17. And then I had two more kids when I was 21 and 22. So they're all adults now. Okay, let's start at Sanka. So I hear all about this, this, um, this school. It, mm-hmm. it has such a great reputation. But you only found Ariel at 41. I had I didn't know that actually. So yes. so you've had it in your life for five years. Um you're there you're there teaching. Tell me Yeah. So so what was it like at the very beginning? Like when you first was that where you first stepped into class? Yes. Well when I met when I first started dating my husband, he was very involved in Sanka and circus arts and doing a lot of partner acrobatics. So he Oh, so he's a circus guy. He's a circus guy. So he initially introduced me to to partner acrobatics and as somebody who's always been active and is strong, you know, the, and I have a bit of a background in some some dance and gymnastics and you know came to it with strength and fairly good body awareness so i picked that up fairly eh, i mean it's it's hard learning these things as an adult because you have developed a healthy respect for i don't know fear and fear <laughs> of injury yeah yeah yeah, <laughs> so yeah. That's a whole nother thing to to uh, battle uh so anyways as we started having conversations about, you know, circus arts. It was like, you know, I always thought that, you know, Ariel was really cool. And he's like, you can learn that. I know people. <laughs> and that is how I got started at Sanka. Um, so I started with some private lessons there with one of their uh, wonderful instructors and then joined some classes. And because I'm also... Well, my background is as a midwife and also as a personal trainer. And so I've spent a lot of time instructing people on how to use their bodies in various ways. So uh, once I got to learn and understand the skills, because I also know about how bodies work and move, that was a fairly easy transition into also teaching. Yeah, that sounds great. Um, How big is the school? I have no, I have no idea Uh, at all. It's, it's quite large. Okay. Like when it comes to real estate and then students as well. Yes. Yes. Okay. Um, What's your space like? Is it just a big warehouse? Basically? Yes. We, they started out many, many years ago in one small bay and then they expanded to two and then they had three while I was there. And during COVID they came back to two um so right now we've got two bays which is still pretty significant amount of size but you know there's a huge spring floor and there's a tumble track and there's two trampolines and there's a big dance floor space uh for german wheel and sear wheel and so we need and there's also a flying trapeze tent which is its own separate uh real estate across the street so there's there's a lot going on at sanka which is great and oh my goodness a lot of kids programs yeah. And, and, uh, how many classes do you guys have going on at once? Oh, I, at one time in the space or like, to- yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, like how many classes can go at one time? Depending one, two, three, four, 
So I mean, we could we could potentially have eight or so classes going. Dexter, chill out, buddy. <laughs> Sorry, rather than small kids, I have dogs in the back. <laughs> you have for you have for babies. Um, yeah, I mean, the studio I work at is so small compared to that. We can only have one class at a time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's there's six points in one space, and that is it. So that is just. I mean, you guys are kind of as big as Las Vegas Circus Center, kind of. I don't know. I haven't been, but okay. Yeah. That's the only thing I can compare it to because I haven't been to Sanka yet, but you know what? One of these days I'm going to make it up there and maybe we'll train because I, I want to see that space so badly. And then, uh, vertical arts, you said versatile arts versa. I'm sorry. Versatile arts. So yeah. Um, Bev started at Sanka and then she branched off and started her own, um, uh, primarily, primarily aerial studio in North Seattle. So it's nice. So we have a couple in South Seattle. We have one in North Seattle um, to, to serve more people in different neighborhoods. Um, so they're smaller, but they still have a big enough space. They can have multiple classes going at once. They have an upstairs and a downstairs. Oh my God. Seattle has a lot because you guys have Emerald, right? Yes. Emerald trapeze too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You guys are a little hotbed. You guys yeah, you guys can compete with LA and Vegas. Yes, and even more probably. There's also one just a little southeast of Seattle in Auburn, and Sanka has actually just um, ag- signed a, an agreement to take over that space. So we're now going to have a satellite location. Oh, and there's one up in Bellingham, and there's, I think. A little one over in in Redmond, so we got we have lots of circus around here. Gig Harbor. Oh my goodness! It's a good place to be. <laughs> yeah, and in LA, our circus is 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 not as circusy as your circus. Like, uh, yeah, our, you know, our our vibe is more uh, like aerial dance. Uh huh. We definitely have a fair amount of that too, but you know, Thinka is, I would say, kind of the the primary broader circus arts and you know emerald city does a fair amount of that too but we both have big big spaces that allow for you know big wheels and things (laughs) yeah i have um my friends uh oliver and cassie i think oliver do you know oliver he's up there but they're like trapeze duo oh yes i just met them last week at the performance we were in together (laughs) Oh wait, I think. we might we might not be talking about the same people because right now that or there's there's another there's there is another Oliver who's up here right now. But oh, there is because they're in Vienna. They're in Vienna right now on a contract on a six month contract. So not the same, different one. <laughs> not the same, but okay. So there's two Olivers who who do trapeze. Um, yeah. Anyways, oh, so exciting! I love to nerd out on on this stuff, and uh, you know it's so interesting because we all live in such far off places from each other but then have so much in common so it's so cool right the the circus community is small in its way (laughs) yeah um and that's crazy that you found it at 41 you've been doing it now that you're older and it's like did you did you kind of like did a whole oyster in your in your life open up did you like life open up in this completely (laughs) crazy direction pretty much yeah it happened at a big transition point in my personal life, which was, it was great, which is great. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, I just had a student who started and I first thing, first thing I was like, what brought you? She's like, I'm going through a terrible breakup. 
Let's do something new. I was like, I'm here for it. Right. So, yeah. Okay. Kyla, tell me about, let's just go back in time Mm -hmm. to when you're 17 years old. What was it like to be pregnant at 17? More, more from a body perspective. I had really, really bad morning sickness. Okay. And that was probably the hardest for me to navigate because... I was, well, still 16 at the time. I was in high school. (laughs) And so I had to have conversations with my teachers and say, and, you know, get permission to bring food and drink with me into class in the morning and have the understanding that I might run out of class at any moment because I need to vomit. (laughs) And... That's just how it's going to be. And then I'll be back. Um, I was a, you know, excellent student before that. So I had a good relationship with my teachers. So I think that helped that they were like, okay, you're not just, you know, making this is a legit, a legit thing. Um, I grew up in Arlington, which is a pretty small town north of Seattle here. So, you know, it's like everybody knew everybody, everybody knew everybody's business. So that was hard. But also it means that it's a pretty close knit community. So I had a lot of support, which was really nice. And so I, I got pregnant. I was due in early beginning of October. So I got pregnant halfway through my junior year. I finished my junior year. They offered me to switch to the alternative school. And I said, no, (laughs) I don't want to do that. I'm, I'm a straight A student on a college track and I'm going to continue with my regular classes. So they gave me a medical leave for my first semester of my senior year. And so a tutor brought me my schoolwork at home and brought it back for me. So I I actually went back to school the beginning of my senior year, very pregnant, and I could barely fit in the desk. But fortunately, I'm a pretty small person <laughs> to start with. Um, so I could barely, barely squeeze into those desks, you know, with the built in, the chair is built into the desk. How, uh, sorry, let me let me interrupt you. Like, how was it emotionally then? At this time in my life, I was very involved in the church. And so I had very strong beliefs about the choices that I was making. I I sometimes joke that uh, attending church and becoming a Christian was my teenage rebellion. (laughs) Oh, oh, got it. Okay. So... So um, when when I just found out that I was pregnant... I was like, all right, I'm, I'm continuing this pregnancy. I feel really strongly about this. I'm pretty, pretty stubborn once I set my mind to something. So in that regard, I think I had a very strong resolve about what I was doing. But of course, it's, you know, took me way off of my plan of, yeah, I'm yeah. going to go apply to schools and get a scholarship maybe and, you know, do whatever. And my life got totally derailed. I actually got married um, in August before I started my senior year. So I attended my senior year uh, married. Uh Uh-huh. And then 
after my son was born, that's really when the emotional struggle came in. Mm. Before that, it was just, okay, I'm doing this thing and it's, you know, I know my life is going to change, but you don't really understand how your life is going to change and all the ways that it's going to impact you and all of the hormonal things that happen after you give birth, especially when you're young and you're still learning and growing and developing as a human yourself. And it was navigating all of that that was really, really hard. But before that, I was like, you know, this is what I'm doing. I don't care if you like it or not. (laughs) Wow. And I actually really enjoy being pregnant once I get past the morning sickness part. (laughs) Okay. Yeah, that wasn't me. I say that on this podcast every week. Uh (laughs) Uh-huh. Just not like being pregnant. The first few months were miserable. And then I actually really kind of enjoy it. And then... The end gets a little miserable again because, you know, you have to be miserable enough to be willing to do what it takes to get a baby out of your body. (laughs) (laughs) So you guys, you guys were married, you were finishing high school, and then you guys decided to have more kids. Yes. You you were going to build your family. Yes. Okay. Amazing. Yes. When my son was about three I mean, honestly, part of that decision was this kid needs a playmate or he's going to drive us insane. (laughs) (laughs) I think that's the reason for a lot of second kids. And then the third one was just kind of an oops. But okay. Yeah. (laughs) So my friends, a lot of my friends from high school did did like more that track where they, you know, had kids right after high school. And, um, you know, they're chilling now. Yeah. So there's that. Yeah, uh, was, yeah, because I'm not. <laughs> I was 40 when my youngest turned 18, so you know. <laughs> yeah, so you get to like love them, but they're they're adults and they have their own lives and stuff. And tell me about um, you know, your path as a as a physical as a personal trainer, and then um, and then in in the midwifery stuff and where your business is now. While I was pregnant with my subsequent two children, because I wanted to, I just wanted to learn more because I wanted to not have another C-section. I wanted to know a bit more about how I could improve my chances of a nice, smooth labor and, you know, a normal vaginal birth. And I'm just somebody who, once I get interested in something, I want to absorb all the information and learn everything that I can about it. So that's when I learned about the existence of midwives. Um, But I was in a small town. There weren't a lot of options. And I was just kind of like, well, I know these people already. And it's scary to think about changing in the middle. And I don't know if that's okay. Turns out it is. You can change it the time. But... I was young. I didn't really know that. And I found in having discussions with my OBs about, you know, hey, I really want to say not have an episiotomy or, you know, I want to try to let my tissues stretch or I want this. And they'd be just like, basically, you know, the the equivalent of pat me on the head and be like, 
well, that's cute. You think that, you know, we'll, we'll see, but it was very patronizing. And I don't know how much of that is just that that's how, uh, female bodied people tend to get treated in society or the fact that I was very young, but that was really frustrating to me. I had two episiotomies <laughs> that I don't think I needed. And, <laughs> you know, just having your requests basically be breast aside and ignored was really frustrating to me. And so I went back to school at 30 once I, once my kids were kind of school age and I felt like, you know, I'd been thinking about it for a while and I was like, you know, I feel really strongly about providing care that actually listens to people and respects what they have to say um, and, you know, honors their, their knowledge about their bodies and their, their requests about what happens to their body. That seemed reasonable to me. And so I went back to school and became a midwife. Um, I also learned, did quite a bit of educating myself about exercise during my second two pregnancies, because I'd always been a physically active kid, but I'd never kind of moved into that adult phase of, okay, I'm not playing soccer anymore. Uh, now, now, how do I stay active? What do I do? What does that look like? And there was not really a whole lot of great information about exercise and pregnancy back then either. So I did a lot of kind of learning through that myself. Um, so as I was practicing as a midwife, uh, it was really interesting for me to learn that while your care provider is the person that you're supposed to go to for advice about exercise and pregnancy, they don't actually know much at all. <laughs> Unless they've actually taken the time to learn, or they are somebody who's physically active and they care, there's like this tiny bit of information that you learn in school. And that's really it. And most of it is based on um avoidance of um being sued <laughs> it's it's a bunch of you know cover your ass recommendations for the most part it's like well we don't know enough about this so we're just going to tell you no and there's there's a few things that are super important to be cautious about when you're pregnant but there was a lot of unknown and fortunately we are now having a lot more studies come out about exercise and pregnancy. So we have a lot more good actual studies to base our recommendations on. But as practicing as a midwife, as somebody who was very, you know, just generally physically active in my life, lifted weights, did that through my pregnancy, did a lot of learning about that. I found that it's like, oh, I'm, I'm the exercise expert here. <laughs> and then working with people actually, you know, seeing how the way that they used their bodies, the way that they held their bodies, how that affected their pregnancy, how that affected their labor, how that affected their, their words and what that all looked like. Um, as well as my own lingering issues from my own births that never went away with all of my strength training that I did. Um, uh, what are, what are those things? What regarding, issues do you have? Um, uh, I had a mild uh, cystocele, so uh, okay, bladder prolapse, 
and issues with leaking. Right. Okay. And so, all right. So you, you have a very unique skill set here because you're a personal (laughs) trainer and a midwife. I don't know if I've ever, even on this podcast, talked to somebody who had that combination. Mm -hmm. Um, Okay. So let's, let's start. If you have any, any advice to give to, are prenatal ladies um, mm-hmm. who are also aerialists. And I don't know how much you follow the mama's page, but pretty much every day it seems like someone's asking, what can I do? I'm like yes. 12 weeks in, blah, blah, blah. So without being, without having the luxury of specifics, right? like what, what advice would you give? Or if they have A, B and C happening, what advice would you give? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So just kind of from from a general healthcare provider perspective and you know based on studies as well as my own personal experience and practice there are a couple things that you want to be cautious about. You don't want to have a blow to your belly and you also don't want to have a hard fall or a hard impact. So I think a blow to the belly is pretty, is fairly self-explanatory. It's easy to understand that, okay, if something hits me in my belly, that's where my growing baby is. And maybe that could cause some harm. The one that's a little bit more, I don't know, nebulous is, is the fall or impact. And the reason that we care about that is because a firm jolt to your body, even if it's not to your belly, say, if you were to be in a car accident and had that, um, you know, strong kind of force back and forth or fall on your butt, um, the potential is that the attachment of the placenta to the uterus on the inside could come loose. And oftentimes there's bleeding associated with that, but not always, depending on where the separation is. So that's those are really the things to be cautious about. So as an aerialist, the first 12 weeks or so, especially for your first pregnancy, your uterus is very well protected inside your uterus. It's not until you get to be... Eh, around 12 weeks that it's starting to kind of peak up above the pubic bone. Once you've had pregnancies before that happens faster, but in the very early parts of pregnancy, you're not going to impact your belly in a way that's going to have any effect on the uterus. So for the first part of pregnancy, I generally say, you know, just kind of see how you feel. For me, I usually feel awful in my first trimester. I feel nauseous. I feel tired. And there's also the effect of the hormones in early pregnancy. And I have not been a pregnant person doing aerial because these two things in my life were very, very far apart. However, I did have a miscarriage a couple of years ago. And so I experienced the effect of those initial pregnancy hormones And I was really surprised how much it affected my ability to engage my abs. 
like my connection to my abs was just totally gone. Mm. And so I had to change how I thought about using my body and moving my body simply because I couldn't recruit my abdominals the same way. And it wasn't because my uterus was big enough to make a significant difference. It's just because those that adjustment to those hormones at the beginning, everything got super lax. And as somebody who tends to be a bit hypermobile, and I would say is true in general <laughs> of the aerial population, we're often already kind of unstable there. And then pregnancy just makes us more unstable. So it's just something to note. And the effect of those hormones is different on different people. Some people that experience that really strongly and other people not so much. But then as you're continuing through your pregnancy, what you want to be mindful of is how comfortable and safe do I feel doing this thing? Is it putting pressure on my belly in a way that's uncomfortable? You don't want to do a drop that's going to cause a big impact to your belly or really your body if you can avoid it. So nothing super dramatic doesn't mean you can't do any drops at all. But, you know, some are gentler and some are a little bit more uh, jarring. And then what's your risk of falling? So personally, I would choose to not do anything that I hadn't done a whole lot of times and felt super comfortable with and also make sure I had a nice cushy crash mat underneath me if for some reason I did fall, stay close to the floor. But, you know, I I personally, having worked with clients who have um, lost pregnancies, had had stillborns because of things like minor car accidents, you know, it's, it's not something to take lightly, but I think there's also a lot of fear in our recommendations. And if it's something that you've been doing and you're comfortable with, and you're like, I've never fallen doing this, I'm not going to start now. And you're just going to pay attention to how does your body change as your belly grows? How does that change your center of gravity? How does that change your ability to engage your muscles enough to do the thing you need to do? And make that assessment for yourself as far as how safe and comfortable you feel keeping yourself in the air. Uh, that's wonderful. Kyla, question. So even though the uterus is safely behind the pubic bone in the first trimester, I was under the impression that that risk of the placenta kind of separating from like the attachment, that was way more of a, a thing also in the first trimester. Like the risk of that would go down as you went farther into your pregnancy? No. Is that no? No. That is not the truth? I would not agree with that. No. Okay. Please, I, please there's, explain. There's a, lot of cons there's a lot of hesitation about recommending exercise in the first trimester. And I will tell you as a provider, my recommendation to people, if they were concerned, if they were having spotting, was to... It's is basically based on protecting your emotional state. <laughs> Less ah, okay. protecting the pregnancy. Because there is no evidence to suggest that exercising, doing something physical in your first trimester is going to cause a miscarriage. However, if you have a miscarriage, there is a tendency for us to want to find something to blame. Ah, uh, yeah. Okay. Got it. Got it. Got it. And spotting is not uncommon in pregnancy, in early pregnancy. 
Um, usually it's from the cervix and not from the inside of the uterus, but it's also something you want to see your care provider about and get checked out because it can be something from inside. And usually the recommendation is like, oh, if you're having any bleeding, you should rest. There's, there's zero evidence to suggest that that works, but it allows us to feel like we're doing something. And from a care provider Mm. perspective, perspective, we're taking out any risk of being blamed of not doing everything that we could. Right. There's no evidence to suggest that it actually changes anything. That is a very good thing to know. Okay. So a lot of this, like I said, is cover your ass recommendations. It's not because we have evidence behind it. It's because it protects us from being blamed for something or not having done everything in our power to do. And maybe, maybe it'll help. I don't know. But, you know, the bed rest, restricting activity, there are very few things that we have evidence to show that it actually helps with. (laughs) That is really good to know. Okay. This is why this podcast is around because, you know, we got to share all this. Maternity care and is generally obstetrics is not really good at keeping up practice with science. Well, also it's hard to do studies on pregnant women, right? Because it is. You, you have to like have a lot of pregnant women who want to be in a study. Yes. But even, right? even once we've gathered enough information to say, you know what, this intervention that we've been doing, it doesn't actually help and it can maybe even make things worse. We still continue to do it because it's ingrained in how we practice and what we do. And we feel like we get uh, attached to having that information or doing this thing, even though there's really no evidence to support it. So it's really slow moving in actually changing how we practice to fit the the evidence. There's a lot at stake. (laughs) Yeah, there's a lot at stake. It's not uh, casual. So that's part of why it's hard. Yeah. Okay. You know what? This is a great opportunity for me to ask this question. I, mm-hmm. I've i never been able to ask this question of anybody because most of the people that I know who are doing PT, it's, you know, PT is different than being a personal trainer and, yes. and Ariel's different than being a personal trainer. I'm actually a personal <laughs> trainer myself, but I hate the muggle gym. Mm-hmm. And so I don't practice my personal training. Yes. <laughs> I don't actually have clients because I don't like being in the gym. Um, so that gets rid of that. <laughs> you have your, you have your own gym. Got it. Yes. Um, <laughs> can you say anything again without the luxury of details? You've got, uh, let's just say you've got a pregnant woman, her second trimester who comes to you and says, I've been, I've been, um, weight training my whole adult life. And I just want to continue. no, no issues with the pregnancy. Uh, what would you, what would you do with them? What would you, what exercises would you guys potentially Mm. do? Well, of course it depends. (laughs) Yes, of course. I mean, let's, let's imagine it's a 30 some year old in their second trimester and they don't have any medical issues. Right. Generally speaking, my approach working with pregnant people is, you know, if they don't have any, you know, they don't have anything causing them pain. They don't have any, you know, glaring structural balancing things that we need to work out. I think about, okay, what exercises are going to help them get into a variety of positions in labor if needed? 
and what exercises are going to help keep them comfortable as much as possible through the rest of their pregnancy and what strength do we need to develop to help them as they're recovering after and suddenly carrying around a newborn <laughs> so um i like i like squats we do lots of squats uh squats squats split squats um because squatting is a very functional position not only for life but for for labor potentially mm-hmm. um I do a lot of breathe, a lot of breath work with people. And so our, our ability to engage our core and our abs is directly related to how we breathe, which direction our breath is going. That also affects our ability to uh, manage our intra-abdominal pressure and to say, engage and lift our pelvic floor when we cough or sneeze or laugh versus pushing pressure down on it. Um, So how we breathe is super, super important. Um, And we also work on low transverse abdominus engagement. Mm, Smart. So that we, we get some, some support of the belly from the abs underneath. And that's, you know, a big part of our, our pelvis and uh, lumbar spine stability to be able to have those muscles working. And they're one of the big ones that pretty much everybody uh, is not connected enough to and doesn't use enough. However, I really like people to work on relaxing their upper abs. Mm, Okay. Because we do need to expand and stretch, right? And it's been my experience as a midwife that clients who do a lot of upper abdominal clenching or carry a lot of tightness there have much more discomfort mm. with the stretching. And if there's, if the muscles are very resistant to stretching, something has to give. And that can be the linea alba in the center. And nobody gets through pregnancy without some degree of abdominal separation, but you're more likely to have a, um, a more serious diastasis afterwards. Mm. Um, your muscles can't stretch and your connective tissue has to be what stretches. Oh, I never thought about it that way. That is actually makes so much sense. Yeah. And I feel really sad sometimes looking back on some of my clients before I learned all of this. And I had this one client in particular that just had so much pain all the time with her stretching belly. And looking back, I can totally see how she's this, you know, super high anxiety kind of type A control person. I'm like, no wonder she, her abs must have been so locked down and tight and resisting that stretch. So we want to engage the low abs. We want some lift from the bottom, but we want the upper abs to really relax and stretch and let go and do less. And most of us do too much with our upper abs anyways. <laughs> we want we need a little more balance in our in our core. Um, yeah, okay. So with the goals that you just laid out. Mhm. Is there anything that we can do in the air, maybe just a foot off the ground, that mm-hmm. is really going to support those goals? 
really any if you if you practice your breathing mechanics sending your inhales down getting good rib expansion sending your breath all the way down to the pelvic floor and then exhaling and lifting and engaging your pelvic floor and your low abs a little bit as you exhale applying that anytime you're moving your body in the air is going to be super super beneficial <laughs> and that's true for everybody but especially pregnant people really want to think about how am i how am i moving my body how am i managing my intra-abdominal pressure because it's also important when we're pregnant not to be holding our breath and and uh-huh. pressure down um and so thinking i mean my first thought would be say some sort of hanging tuck-ups mm-hmm. you're okay. thinking about okay i'm gonna send my inhale down i'm gonna exhale and really focus on engaging my low abs as i bring my knees up and then control that lower down um that sort of thing okay kyla what are what is your what are your thoughts on um hammock up being upside down like spending time there i don't think there's anything problem i don't think there's any problem with being upside down as long as you feel okay being there okay yeah and occasionally we use our body position to encourage our babies to find better positions uh towards the end of pregnancy and you know if you have a head up baby being upside down might be extra beneficial for you Sometimes and the, are concerned that a head down baby will turn the other way if you spend a lot of time. Yeah, that's down. what I was going to ask. I've not seen that happen. Okay. If they can move up, if they can turn head up, they can turn head down. And once their head gets engaged in the pelvis, they're not going anywhere. <laughs> not with a, not a lot of encouragement. Um, so I would say that's a fear, but it's not something that I've ever seen happen. I I love this. You are debunking the fears that have no studies and no evidence behind. So we can all take a little (laughs) bit of a a deep breath. Although I am very glad that my bean is now outside of my body. So, right. Right. Um, The wonderful things about practicing as a midwife, because those of us who become midwives, we're generally going that direction because we're already willing to challenge the status quo in a bit. Yeah. Just because this is the way we have been doing it doesn't mean it's the best way or the right way, you know, and, and everybody's different and what they want and need is different. And so I think we tend to have a, a broader perspective of, okay, let's look at the whole, let's look at what we actually know and our, are more willing to make recommendations outside of that. This is just what we've always done. And this is what covers my ass perspective. (laughs) You know, Kyla, if you, if you would like to, I probably would love to have you back on at some point in the near future, just to talk about uh, midwifery, just to talk about, um, you know, what a woman might, expect and your experiences with people actually you know when you're in the thick of it mm-hmm. um I've, I've had midwives on the podcast but it's been a while actually it's probably been more than a more than nine months since i've had a midwife on to talk about that process so um sure. and you know, i know if you 
technically retired as a midwife. I haven't practiced in a few years, although I am still licensed. <laughs> okay. Yeah. I mean, but, but that experience and, and plus your other experience, mm-hmm. um, such a unique, uh, basically you fit this podcast like a glove. So let's, let's go for it. <laughs> All right. <laughs> um, but thank you so much for being here and, um, yeah, we'll, we'll catch up with you another time pretty soon. All right. Thank you. All right, Kyla, th- thank you so much for being here, carving out the time. Um, you are a wealth of knowledge in a very specific way. So uh, perfect for this podcast. We appreciate you and excited to have you back. My listeners out there, if you're interested in Aero Rehab, Roll It Out and teacher training, please go to the show notes. There's going to be links. Uh, if you give me your email address to the specific links, it helps me tag what you're interested in. So you'll get those notifications. Um, I really appreciate you for listening third season. It's so exciting. Um, And, you know, we're part of a group now, Digitant Podcasts, uh, a health and wellness podcast group. If you want to check out any of those other podcasts, as well as Greener Grass, which is the uh, show I do with Kelly McVeigh uh, about ordinary people doing extraordinary things. And uh, that's way broader. And we talk about everything from from sports to health and wellness to mental health to just um our daily our daily stuff with the with the kids and our partners etc so thank you so much to asa Watkins, sound engineer and if you would honor me with a five-star rating and a review you guys if you could just go into the app you know smash the five stars and then leave a sentence for me it makes so much difference i will i will highlight you on my website and um i'm just excited to grow this community and and uh you know keep on creating content that you guys that you guys feel is beneficial for you all right my friends over and out i will see you next time this is the expected podcast Bye.